Nicole Hansen Mundell. She is the director of Out for Justice. Please welcome Nicole Hansen Mundell. We decided that we wanted to expand the ballot, expand the box, because we found it a problem that individuals who were sitting in jail pre-trial had not yet been convicted of anything were not given, getting the right to vote. We needed to create a voting block. We needed to vote in a block to show local and state elected officials that we had the power. We got those our incarcerated citizens ballot. We brought the ballot back to the institution. And our incarcerated citizens were able to cast their vote. And we were able to serve over 83 incarcerated citizens in the last election. We got in touch with with a a warden at the local Baltimore uh, City Jail, Warden Chabello. I never forget him. We sat down and met with him, and I just knew they was going to say no. And he sat with us and he says, y'all not already doing this in Maryland? Because he was from Philly. And we said, no. He said, of course. Is it, does the law allow for them to vote? I said, yes. He said, okay, then just let me know what day you want to come in. And it's fine. I'll get a, I'll get a corrections officer to walk you around. Um, what, what unit do you want to go on first? And of course, you know what unit I said? The women's unit. Because the rate of incarceration has increased over 700% for women. Nothing happens overnight. And we understand that at Out for Justice. We understand that these things do not happen overnight. But what we know is that we have to be consistent. One thing that community respects is consistency. Whatever you are doing, you have to remain consistent in it. That was Nicole Hansen giving a passionate speech at this year's Constitution Day entitled One Person, One Vote. You are listening to Thinking Freely with the ACLU of Maryland, the show that talks about what's happening politically in Maryland from the courts to the streets. I'm your host, Amber Taylor. In a democracy, every citizen's voice should be heard. And one of the ways you make your voice heard is by voting. But for some people, their access to the ballot has been blocked. Currently in Maryland, those who are incarcerated for a felony conviction cannot vote. But this doesn't have to be the case. In countries like South Africa, Canada, Ireland, and Spain, everyone, including those who are in prison, are allowed to vote. In addition, not everyone realizes that people who are formerly incarcerated and those not currently serving a felony conviction in Maryland can register and vote in our elections. This misperception or myth And the idea that your right to vote and incarceration status should be linked is rooted in America's racist Jim Crow past. The combination of mass incarceration, the loophole in the 13th Amendment abolishing slavery except as a punishment for a crime, and the war on drugs contributed to preventing so many people, particularly Black people, from participating in our democracy. Today we are joined by Lupe Hawkins of Just Us, and Yannette Emanuel, the public policy advocate for the ACLU of Maryland, 
to discuss some of the threats to our voting rights, to explain why we need to improve access to the ballot for people who are behind bars, and to talk about what you can do to get involved in turning the idea of voter restoration into reality. Thank you, Yannette. Thank you, Lupe. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. So, you know, we wanted to start off this conversation by talking about, you know, why is voting important? Yeah, the Webster Dictionary defines voting as an expression of opinion or preference. And voting provides people with the opportunity to voice their opinion and most importantly holds elected officials accountable for their behavior in office and ensures that the minority is not dictating for the majority. Lupe, can you talk to me about what happens when elected officials don't think they need to care about incarcerated people or formerly incarcerated people? when they make decisions about policies that affect people's lives? Well, people that are incarcerated, um, a lot of them are going to be coming home. They will be re-entering the community. So a lot of them will be re-entering the community and will be, should have some type of say-so for what's going on in the community when they re-enter. You was to give these people some type of say-so, that would help them when they come home to be productive citizens and won't have to do certain things to end up back incarcerated or end up back in jail or disrupt the community. Um, but people sometimes have a general misunderstanding about what it means to be entangled in the criminal justice system. Just because someone's incarcerated does not mean that they're a bad person. Um, and it definitely doesn't mean that they should be excluded from the democ- from our democracy. And everyone in our community deserves to play a role in our democracy, no matter what mistakes they may or may have not made. Um, And also by virtue of just having a good lawyer, someone with a felony could be on parole, whereas someone else who could not afford a good attorney would be incarcerated. So the criminal justice, we already know, and it's no myth that it's unfair and it disproportionately impacts people of color. So by design, the people whose voting rights are being oppressed are people of color. Um, and this is also very dangerous because the policies that we have in place don't reflect the needs of these communities. The two top things that people are incarcerated for are nonviolent offenses and poverty crimes. So when we're considering what laws should be felonies or even be considered a crime to begin with, um, which would have to be done through the legislator, um, one way to get legislators to even kind of listen to us and we're saying, hey, this should not be a felony, hey, this should not even be considered a crime, um, is understanding that the people who put them in office have been impacted by the fact that these are considered crimes now. It's hard for people to understand things that they haven't personally experienced a lot of times. And so if this certain elected official doesn't have a family that's been directly impacted, a child that's been directly impacted, or if they themselves have not been, um, it's going to take someone, you know, educating them on these issues and making them realize that why they should care. Lupe, can you talk to me about what happens to communities, especially communities of color, when large amounts of people don't vote or can't vote? People being able to vote now that were incarcerated or people with felonies, a lot of people don't even know that they can vote now. So it's like... They don't have any say so what's going on in the community around them. If you don't vote, anything could be changed. Recently, Maryland has made good efforts to expand the right to vote. Back in 2016, a law was passed that allowed people who are not currently serving a felony conviction to be able to vote. Yannette, can you talk to me about how this law came to be? 
In 2016, the Maryland General Assembly expanded voting rights to people on felony probation and parole with their with the override of Governor uh, Larry Hogan's veto. Um, and this action restored voting rights to an estimated 40,000 people. And how this came about is really a, a call from the directly impacted community who wanted a say and who was representing them and um, wanted their voices heard. And so they really led the charge and eventually everybody else got on board and we were able to pass the bill. Lupe, I know that you're formerly incarcerated. Can you talk to me about what it means to you and to other formerly incarcerated people to be able to vote? Even after I I, I found out that you could vote, I was pretty much... Um, going to the parole and probation offices and letting people know that the people that were out that weren't incarcerated anymore, letting them know that they can vote. A lot of them were shocked. Like they were shocked. Like they didn't even know that that law had even been passed. So, um, I, I know a lot. I know now that a lot of people are voting that, that didn't vote before. Now that they have been incarcerated, they see things differently now and they're going to vote because they know that their vote can actually change what's going on in the community around them. Yannette, can you give us some examples of why it's important for people to be able to show up and vote? Um, so I think we really got the chance to see that in this last election, especially here in Maryland. Um, there was a lot of close calls in some of the elections that we had in Prince George's County. We had a delegate win just by 40 votes um, and in both Montgomery County and in Baltimore County. There had to be a recount um, in the county executive races just to ensure that there was a, that they had the right count. And so that's how close these elections are. And so if uh, a as simple as 50 people, 50 more people showing up to the poll could sway a whole election. And that ultimately would determine whether they get the candidate that represents and um, reflects the views that they have and also advocates on behalf of the issues um, relevant in their community. What have we seen since 2016 as the result of this law? Um, I've seen two things. I've seen com- I've seen individuals who are aware of their voting rights exercising them and also making an effort like Lupe to educate others about their voting rights being restored and really being energized by the ability to um, have a say in what's going on in their community. And then on the other hand, I've, we were outside parole and probation offices registering people to vote, and we found that a lot of these individuals just simply did not know that they could vote. It's not that they didn't have the interest. It's just they didn't know that they had the ability to cast a ballot. And so, and it wasn't just the people who were formerly incarcerated. It was also their family members. It was parole and probation officers themselves, poll workers, who just were com- mis- just simply misinformed. Do you think that the lack of telling people who are formerly incarcerated that they can vote is a part of the reason why so many people think that they can't vote even three years after the law has passed? Or are there other reasons why you think the myth still exists? If I'm not mistaken, you can get in trouble for that if you vote and you wasn't supposed to vote. So I think a lot of people were just like just stayed away from it because they didn't want any trouble behind it. Also, I don't know if you remember, remember that there was this one guy that approached us um, outside the parole and probation who had the interest to vote, but then he was kind of nervous because he had some issues with his license. And so he was afraid that by, one, putting his license number on the voter voter registration application, that would somehow come back to hurt him in some way. And so there's a lot of, like, misinformation and just unclear, um, uh, just a lot of things that are unclear to a lot of folks. And so in, in 
to avoid getting in trouble altogether, they just completely just stray away from voting. For currently incarcerated people, what do you think it would mean to them? And what do you think it would mean to our greater society if they could be able to vote? Last year, we had a national prison strike, and one of the demands listed in the prison strike was um, the ability to vote while incarcerated because they recognize that even though some of them aren't coming home, they realize that by being a, a voting block, that would force their representatives to um, to consider issues that are important to them. So as far as prisoners' rights issues and the conditions within the prison, even though some of them are never coming home, they understand that by having a voting power, that is the that is one way to get all the other demands met. And so that's why it ended up kind of springing off and being its own movement because it, it was much larger than, I guess, what the other demands that they had. They realized in order to get the other demands, they had to first get this demand. And so there are movements in, in other states um, and even here to get to restore their uh, voting rights because they recognize that it is a power and that they want to be able to exercise it. Yannette, correct me if I'm wrong. Even though many people who are currently incarcerated are citizens and technically elected officials should care about them, but since they can't vote in the General Assembly, what are some of the things you're hearing from elected officials when you and others are trying to advocate for better conditions in prisons and making sure that people who are currently incarcerated rights are protected? Yeah, that's a good question. And what I've um, notice and what I've heard a lot of legislators say when they weigh whether or not they're going to vote for a certain piece of legislation is how their district is going to react to it. So they'll say, oh, you know, my district is more conservative. I can't really vote on this issue or I, I don't, you know, I can't support this issue, even though in their opinion, so they say, you know, it's something that they would support. And so by having um, inmates being able to vote for whether it's a felony or a misdemeanor or if they're just on pretrial, um, it gives them, it gives them, it gives both the legislative cover to to actually advocate and champion legislation that would um, improve the conditions for prisoners um, and other issues that they that they care about, um, without worrying about whether they're more conservative um, citizens or residents will. Um, I guess hold that against them because they can say that well I have other constituents and. They also care about these issues, and so I also have to weigh and consider what's important to them as well. And Yannette and Lupe, it wasn't always the case that people who are currently incarcerated in the U.S. can't vote. Can you talk to me about the history behind voter disenfranchisement laws? Um, so prior to the Civil War, uh, losing voting rights due to an uh, incarceration or prior convictions was uncommon. However, after the Civil War, the country saw both a, a rise in mass incarceration, um, especially within the black community, and um, more black people advocating for their constitutional rights. And so this led to voter disenfranchisement laws that um, became more common. And to this day, Maine and Vermont remain the um, only states that actually allow all inmates to be able to vote. In the era of mass incarceration, can you tell me about who were some of the main groups who are currently incarcerated in Maryland. The last time I checked the statistics, I believe it's 70% African-American, while we only make up 29% of the Maryland population. And so that's a huge number of people who, are, um, who aren't who are reflected in our democracy. Um, and to give you a more specific example, one-third of all Baltimore, I'm sorry, one-third of all Maryland state prisoners are from Baltimore City. So these, in, this is a huge 
number of individuals who are who don't have a say in who is um, who's basically passing policies that directly impact their lives and their families' lives. So even though someone might be behind the wall, they should be still be have they still should have the ability to cast a vote on who's on their child's school board or how much phone calls cost in prison and all these other issues that matter to them and their families. And so we see that, especially in Baltimore City, that they're not, these individuals are not being represented. And so none of the root causes of why they're even incarcerated are ever addressed. Lupe, can you tell me why it was a bad idea to link your right to vote with the fact that you were incarcerated? Because I was innocent. Um, I shouldn't even have been incarcerated anyway. First off, if you're incarcerated, you're still human. You're not an animal. So, I mean, there should be no reason why you shouldn't be able to vote just because you're incarcerated. Lupe, can you tell me what change is needed now that people who are formerly incarcerated can vote? Um, I feel like if, well, number one, if the parole officers and probation officers knew and they were educated, then a lot more people that pro- parolees and people on probation have to go see these people would know if it was signs inside the parole and probation offices a lot of people would know when we went and um we were doing the election we stood outside the parole and probation office and you would be surprised at who just did not know this like you just, they just didn't know that you could vote really i mean the law changed but what good is that if nobody knows about it and also had me question what efforts is the state in um, putting forward to making sure that these individuals do know that they have the right to vote. In terms of political power, and let's be real, this is mainly targeting Black and brown people. What would happen to Black and brown people's political power in Maryland if every citizen could vote regardless of their incarceration status? We would have different elected officials in our office. I really feel like that. Um, I feel like a lot of laws would change to to reflect the needs of the community. Well, it would definitely force legislators to consider um, issues that, even if they themselves might be conservative, if this if the if that call to action or that need is um, voiced by a lot of their constituents, then they'll be forced to um, vote the right way on that issue, or else have to face the consequences in the next election. Lupe, can you tell me a bit about your organization, Just Us, and why you decided to form it? Well, me and my family decided to start this organization because for about four and a half years, I was falsely accused. Um, I was going in and out of jail. I was being charged with crimes that I didn't commit. During this time, I had no help. I couldn't get anything from anybody. So me and my family basically just did our own research and just fought. And it was basically just us the whole time. It was just me and my mom, my sister, my grandmother, and that's all I had. So once once I got over everything, I just basically made a promise to myself and my family and basically God that I would do whatever I could to fight this situation. Like um, whatever I could do to help the situation as far as like, um, just the criminal justice system is just bias against people with color. So at this point, I'm just trying to do whatever I can do to fix something. What can people do to support this effort? 
I'd recommend that people sign up for the ACLU's email list um, so that you can get updates and alerts about our legislative efforts and our campaign to restore full voting rights. Yannette, can you just remind people of the different ways that they can register to vote? Because the laws have changed recently. So to register to vote, you can go online to the Maryland um, State Board of Elections website. And then you can also go to you can actually go to the local board of elections and register there. Um, You can also register at the Department of Social Services, um, the MVA and other um, state agencies. You can also register to vote during early voting. Hey. So, Yannette and Lupe, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a great discussion. And, you know, we hope that um, more people will be able to know about their rights to vote and be able to access the ballot. Um, you know, currently people who are formerly incarcerated and those serving misdemeanor um, and other uh, pretrials. And then um, very soon, we hope that Maryland will be a leader in uh, expanding the right to vote to all people who are currently incarcerated. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you for having Thanks for joining us for this episode of Thinking Freely. If you like Thinking Freely, make sure to rate and subscribe to us from wherever you get your podcasts. This show was recorded at the Baltimore Improv Group and was recorded on Piscataway land. I'm Amber Taylor, the host and producer of Thinking Freely. Till next time.